damn hard. Um, obviously, it's not a like perfect intelligibility, but no, it's cl probably close enough where you probably can pick up some of the uh, the words and intent. Mm, cool. Um, uh, but as the has, door opens and go ahead, Dinder. Has Dinder heard this song before? Like she's old as fuck. So like, if this was this this song was ever popular, then she'd probably know it. It's possible. Um, it's possible. Maybe it does sound familiar to you. Did you hang out in Brazil a lot? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, could be, right? Yeah. So, the, you know, the second door is opened up and you, you get this burst of music coming through it. Not really a burst. I mean, it's, it's the voice is very, very low and slow and just sort of uh, melodic and, and harmonic. And But um, as the door opens, you see that it's just another dark hallway in front of you. And at the end of it, you see some dim light filtering through what appear to be some heavy red curtains. Oh. And uh, Nadia just keeps walking ahead of you. I think uh, Dinder is like almost on Nadia's heels, like probably annoyingly close behind her. Mm. Nightingale is going to uh, squirrel up a little bit whenever they actually step into the um, main area. She may temporarily de-manifest and just keep with the group. Uh, How many patrons are there currently? That's a good question. Well, at the moment, you're still in, you're basically, you're headed in, the, you're in this dark hallway, which is empty aside from yourselves and the uh, these curtains ahead of you, which have the light from what probably sounds like the actual club area filtering through it. Okay. Are you waiting? Ah. You want to wait until you actually get into the club? Or did you have something in mind for this area? No. Uh, yeah, never mind. Scratch what I was saying, too. Okay. Um, as you enter, the, enter this hallway and you're headed towards the curtains, the, uh, the, the feeling of cold and damp that you got from the Seattle night sort of disappears and the temperature starts to climb. Um, obviously, the club is well heated and you start to pick up you know, heavy smells of, of smoke and... Uh, and some kind of, and drink probably um, various smells in the smoke. You can smell tobacco and you smell incense. And uh, at that point, Nadia pushes the curtains apart and uh, steps aside, ushering you into uh, into the club itself. And as you pass through the curtain, you find yourself in what is obviously a a VIP area of the club and. Unlike maybe some of the other clubs where the VIP areas are placed for maximum visibility, this this area is positioned off to the back of the club, um, to on the far side of the bar. So as you come in, you're you're gazing down into the club, past the patrons who are sitting um, at tables, and towards the stage. And on the stage, you see um, a woman in a long flowing red gown. Um, she's singing into a vintage chrome microphone. Um, she's standing under a spotlight that sort of casts the rest of a band into shadow. Um, the club itself seems fairly full and at capacity. Um, there are, like I said, there are tables around in front of the uh, the stage. Um, everything's very dimly lit. The, the mainly, the lights seem to be coming from um, 
candles on the tables themselves, and there are booths lining the walls. Um, there's wait staff moving around. Um, the patronage is a diverse cross section of meta humanity, and uh, you know, unlike a lot of modern bars and clubs that you've been to or heard of, there doesn't seem to be any kind of VR or other technolo- technological chicanery going on here. Um, it's just a bunch of people enjoying um, a night of jazz and and otherwise, you know, whatever the, the bar has to offer. Anything? Are you guys taking any other actions at this point? And I recognize her dress. Like it, the quality of it. The red dress mm-hmm. or the one that Nadia is wearing? Both. Um, well, Ooh. you've got the picture of Nadia. Um, it's not super modern or fashionable, um, but the quality is there. And the dress that the woman on the stage is wearing, um, you recognize it as, well, give me a, give me a designer fashion label that might be around in the sixth world. In the sixth world? Let's say it's RS, some RS brand. AR. I have attitude yes. up right now. Yeah, RS. Yeah, so she's, it's a, it's a very, fairly high end dress. Um, her, her hair color matches the dress color. Um, Oh, that's a very deep red. Yeah. Think of her as sort of a, well, Jessica rabbit (laughs) kind of figure (laughs) under the spotlight. Jessica rabbit. I think, um, Deandre steps in to this, like basically retro at this point, the bar jazz club. And like, she almost takes, like a double take, like almost as if she never expected something like this to be here. Yeah, that would probably not be uncommon. Um, so Cecile is is sort of sizing up the uh, the dress situation. And Grace, are you doing anything? Um, we're in the VIP area, right? Mm-hmm. I'm looking for pro crop skillful. Okay, and boxer. Boxer has been distracted by the bar. She is eyeing it. <laughs> Okay, so um, as you guys sort of take in the scene and, and the details that interest and are important to you, um, Nadia is turning and, and motioning you into the VIP area. Um, <clears throat> the the VIP area itself is got is sort of encircled with these very deep booths, um, plushly upholstered in dark red leather. Um, the booths themselves are framed in a, in a dark lacquered wood and are occupied by a number of metahumans, um, all of whom seem to be dressed in relatively dark-colored evening wear. Um, but their faces and attitudes are, are hidden by the darkness of the club and the booths. But you can tell that quite a few of them are watching you. But at the center of the VIP area, um, centrally arranged, there's a, a low oval table, um, also of a lacquered hardwood and around it are several uh, very comfortable-looking chaise lounges um, in the same kind of red leather material as the booths are. Um, and on that table in the center of that, that VIP area, there's a large a large teapot um, made of some a golden brown metal. Um, it's sitting on a sort of frame under which several small candles are lit, as well as a what appears to be a smoldering cone of incense. Uh, there's an ornate tray next to it uh, with um, several 
small handleless glasses engraved in an ornate geometric pattern that matched those on the teapot, as well as plates of cookies and biscuits and uh, an unlabeled bottle of clear glass filled with an amber liquid. Um, and two of those chaise lounges are occupied. Um, and one of them um, sitting stiffly and, and upright is a, is a rather large human male. He's dressed sort of casually. Um, Cecile, you rec- think you recognize sort of fashions that might have been um, popular in the 2050s, so 20 years ago. Um, this man's blonde hair is cut extremely short in a very military fashion. And his, his broad face is weathered. It seems like he's lived a life outdoors. But um, what really strikes you guys as you see him is the uh, pale blue-gray eyes and the uh, these faint blue spirals that have been tattooed on his cheeks, on his cheekbones and on his forehead. And he's watching you guys with open an open scowl. Um, and next to him is another human male lounging far more comfortably. Um, and he has a cigarette dangling from the left corner of his mouth. And he's observing you with a slight smile. He's sort of the, the opposite of the other man. Um, he's not large. And he's, his black hair is sort of carelessly tousled. He's wearing an evening suit that is both expensively tailored, yet um, appears to be slightly rumpled. And he's holding a glass of what must be the same liquid that's in the bottle on the table. And his, uh, although his face seems to be in the shadow here, his eyes seem to glow at you almost in a blue with a blue color. And then there's a third figure in the VIP area that's of interest to you. Um, there's a tall woman, and she's standing behind the man with dark hair. Um, her hand is sort of resting on his shoulder possessively. Um, sure, her hair is black like his, um, artfully arranged, you know, with a in a style designed to frame her face. And there are violet highlights in her hair which match the color on her lips and eyelids, and uh, that in turn sort of make the an olive the olive complexion of her skin really pop. Um, her dress is uh, is immaculately fashionable. It's black leather. It has a high collar and exquisitely stitched detailing. And she's staring at you sort of haughtily. Um, her eyes rest on Grace for a moment and then um, come to a full stop on Cecile. And you get the sense that for a moment there, she's she's you get the sense that she was surprised by you. Phil goes ahead and uh, makes eye contact with the dark-haired man and gives a coy smile. The, uh, um, looking at where the woman's hands come to the man's shoulders, obviously this is a person that she has some kind of affection for, love. The question is, what kind of love is that? Is it, is this, are, are they co-workers and friends? Is this his lover? Is this his daughter or mother? The, I want to share a picture of her. <laughs> it might be a little bit spoilerish. And then a picture of him. Her hand is resting on his shoulder in what can only be described as a somewhat possessive manner. Um, mm. Not firmly, not sensually, not anything other than sort of a, like I said, sort of a, a possessive way so is there not affection in it it's more business than that you can't tell you wouldn't say that there's affection in it. Mm, okay 
Um, the dark-haired man speaks. Unless you guys wanted to do something else with it. Nightingale will approach herself and say, are you pro-crop skillful? Just to the group, not um, like looking at all of them like quickly, just in case she guessed wrong. Uh, I think Dinder follows pretty quickly behind Boxer and then it does a slight bow and then addresses them using the most polite term for a non-elf in Spirithiel, which is like an idiom that means you put this on my plate. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with elves? <laughs> They're all vegans, that's the problem. No red meat makes you crazy. Ah, this makes sense. All of them are LARPers. Boxer, are you still standing slightly back from the rest of the group that has now sort of moved forward? It's approached, but she's not saying or doing anything. She's watching. Is there like a seat in front of the dark-haired man? Yeah, like I said, there are several of these sort of really plush, upholstered chaise lounge-type um, seats. That's Seal sort of... goes ahead and sits down right in front of him. Okay. He uh, He's watching all of you with, like I said, a, a slight smile on his face, and he says, Welcome to Samovar. My name is Prokop. He motions to the blonde, blonde man. This is my friend, Ice. And the lovely lady standing behind me is my partner, Talia. He motions at the seating arrangement and says, please, have a seat. Uh, Cecile was already moving towards the seats. Oh, yeah. Cecile, I I think Cecile was already sitting at that point. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) I think uh, Dean says it completely right next to to Cecile and, like, Dinder almost like kicks Cecile under the table and gives her a, a, a rude look. Ooh, that's not very professional. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Cecile and, and Dinder, you're sitting on the uh, this this seat um, to Prokop's left, and uh, to his right is the uh, the blonde man Ice. And so, Boxer is going to sit nearer to the blonde guy. Okay, so you're on his right, and Grace. Um, to sit down. Yeah, if there's enough space between the seats, she can literally just kind of like she can like basically sit down, uh, so that she'll be more or less on level with everyone at the the table, uh, but not actually need a chair because she's astral. Right. She doesn't obey gravity. She only respects it um, for the comfort of others. The man says, "Would you like some tea? Some Russian Absolutely, tea?" Absolutely, sir. It is strong and sweet, but it is very good. And we can also arrange any other refreshments that you would like. He would be lovely. I appreciate your hospitality. At that point, you see uh, Talia sort of makes a motion with her wrist like she's shooing somebody away. And and you see Nadia bow in a a sort of a subservient manner and leave. Um, Prokop leans forward and takes one of the glasses from the tray and fills it from the uh, from the samovar and uh, hands it to Cecile. Cecile takes it uh, graciously. Please help yourself to any cookies or biscuits. They are very good. All natural ingredients. Expensive. You're a man of fine taste. A natural boxer raises an eyebrow and takes a cookie, nibbling on it. It's uh, uh, extremely flavorful um, with sense, sense of uh, cinnamon, cardamom, um, buttery, flaky. It's extremely good. Um, he looks at you. Would you like a 
a glass of tea as well. I'll pass. Thank you. He looks at Deandir. I thank you for your hospitality, but I will not partake. Something besides tea, perhaps. Do you have a soy calf or a coffee? Of course. Coffee. He makes a motion and uh, at some point... Rather rapidly, one of the uh, the wait staff brings you a a mug of steaming black tea or coffee. Sorry, got tea on the brain. Soy calf. It is definitely not soy calf. Mm-hmm. It is uh, coffee. The aroma of coffee is intense, and you can tell immediately it is not soy calf. I think Dinder like almost savors it. Like she's afraid that if she takes a sip of it, it'll be gone. At that point, he looks at Grace and he. He smiles somewhat regretfully and, and shrugs and does one of those hand motions. Well, I, I can't offer you anything. You are not physically here. Indeed, I'm not. And she uh, leans onto the, the table and props her head up with her forehooks. Very well. Shall we get down to business then? I do have a question before we start. Prokop, if that's not too informal for you. No, of course not. You wouldn't happen to have any conflicts of interest here, would you? Conflicts of interest? No, you no. know, previous employers? No, not that I can think of. Good, good. I just wanted to clear the air. You never know. Always good to have those things be out and honest, right? Well, as I understand it, you are not currently employed. Sadly, me and my previous employer had a uh, disagreement. Yes. You have been somewhat of a fixture on the nightly news lately. However, there's no such thing as bad publicity. He chuckles slightly and you can see the man next to him, Ice, sort of frowns and looks at Prokop and says, Prokop, can we just get on with this this silliness? <laughs> Wasting our time here. Prokop reaches over and pats Ice on the on the shoulder sort of affectionately and says Ah, yes, my friend is not very patient, and he does not understand necessarily what is happening here. So let me explain some small things. Um, I am well aware currently of what is happening. I do not have all the details regarding your situation, Cecile. Mm-hmm. But I have a, a grasp of why the things that are happening are happening. Mm-hmm. And... Interestingly, coincidentally, maybe, myself and my friend Prokop here are similarly enmeshed Mm. with the same people in the same situation. In fact, you might say, in some ways, we are responsible for the situation in which you find yourself. Mm. Mm. He sort of smiles apologetically, and then he looks at the rest of the team, and he says, that being said, there are other reasons why I have asked you to come here. As you know, I am a fixer and I am always looking for new talent. And as I was looking into our friend Cecile's problems, I found that she was in the hands of a fairly good team with strong potential. And I was wondering if you would be interested in some employment. I cannot speak for my compatriots. She side-eyes everyone. But I would need to know more first. Ah, of course. Um, I have, in the few short days that I have become aware of you, I have obviously been able to 
have my own organizations develop something of a picture of each of you, just informally, of course. You understand professionally it's important in my line of work to understand who I'm working with. So what I would tell you is that um, I, you've probably done your own research, Cecile. Oh, well, a lady doesn't tell. I've been a fixer in Seattle for many years, close to 30 years. I have um, a strong reputation, I believe, for operations that tend to be, well, let me say I don't like to run what I consider unethical or immoral operations. I don't well, I have do heard. I don't condone wet work from my team members. Um, we don't do kidnappings and that type of thing. My aim and goal is always to improve the lives of the less well-off of Seattle. <laughs> so that's sort of the, the high-level story. The other thing is working with my organization has benefits, I believe, for you. In your case, Cecile, I believe that we may be able to find a solution to your situation. Um, although that may be very, very difficult to do. I don't know if you fully comprehend the difficulty you find yourself in. I find few do. She really doesn't. He looks a little bit sad, and uh, he says, Indeed, you are in grave danger, and you are putting other people in danger as well through your actions. He <laughs> reaches into his jacket and pulls out a hard copy and lays it on the table in front of Cecile. Like paper? Like actual paper. Like there's a photograph printed on it. I will look at it then. You pick it up and look at it, and it is a picture of um, Kirsten's orc friend. He is hanging from a rope by his wrists, and he appears to be dead. Um, blood has spilled from his mouth down his shirt, and there is a a large wound in his chest under his left armpit. Regrettable. She puts Nightingale, Nightingale leans over to Boxer and whispers, uh, what, what, what was on that thing? And then she, uh, she might just lean back over to the right back over to Cecile and ask the same question. What was on that? The seat ignores, ignores the horse. <laughs> what was on the thing? Proceeds oh, right. To, uh, uh, the, uh, a guy strung up. She whispers to her, her friend had, um, unfortunate encounter with our pursuers. The orc. <clears throat> How bad? Existentially. Ah. Ah. <laughs> and that's a, that's like a, that's a, that's an audible and like out loud reaction to that. Her ears prick and she, uh, only slumps even more. Slumps over. Um, before looking back up at, uh, Procrop and the, uh, the humans that they're here to meet. Prokop is looking at Deandir, and he says, Deandir, you are looking for your brother. Yes, seems I've run into several, several dead ends on that front, and the shadows might prove opportunist for that. I have extensive contacts on the streets, and I would be happy to put them into motion to see what I can find out. I'm, I'm joyful. Uh, I do have one question, however. I have a history of working on my own, so why call me with that? I most certainly am fully prepared 
to do the work that is needed. But I must satisfy my curiosity. Well, as you can see, the rest of the potential team is just three people. And the potential for success is raised with your skill set. I understand. Also, it seemed that you would be open and amenable to employment at this stage in your search within the investigation this investigation of yours in the metroplex area so it seemed merely seemed opportune you were looking you have a certain skill set and potentially would be at a stage where you would be interested in employment and you would be beneficial to the team and the team would probably be beneficial to you as well yes and then he yes you had a job for us indeed the job is a minor situation. Um, I've been approached by a small man who has a problem with a love interest of his, and he would like to clear it up for him. You say us. Does that include me? He smiles again. Indeed, it does. I'm not Oscar sure. Jacks. Prokop, if you are familiar with my skill set, I... I I didn't study uh, that sort of magic. Prokops, this woman is not a runner. She has a job. She is here because leaving her... Actually, this this is a question. Why is she here? You are aware of her lack of background? He chuckles. You say she's a job, but I ask you, has she paid you yet? Or have you been paid for this job? I must admit I was rather confused why criminals would be so cheap. Usually they ask for quite a lot of money, at least in the treads. You can't trust everything you see in the treads. The point I'm trying to make is that while you you portray yourself as rather mercenary, you are actually acting in the similar vein that I do within the Metroplex. You are helping a person in need. That is one of the reasons why I have contacted you. And then he looks back at Cecile and he says, I do know what your skill set is. I have retrieved your dossier from um, the university, Washington University and Evo. And you are correct. You are not yet a fully fledged runner. However, at the moment, my friend, your life takes place in the shadows. And this is how and where we make our money. Mm. See. Mm. Nightingale raises her hoof like a uh, school child. <laughs> Nightingale, you will have noticed that while you were watching these, everybody from your vantage point, you're directly across from Prokop and Talia. And Talia has been staring. There's probably no other way to put it. She's been staring at Cecile this entire time. Say that again? Talia, the, uh, the woman behind Prokop, has been staring at you this entire time. So, Grace, you raise your your hoof, and uh, what is that stare? What is the emotion behind that stare? The before we proceed, I'm just just so that I know. Um, there is a mixture of both fear and greed. Ah. So you raise your hoof as if to ask a question. Yeah. And Prokop looks at you and says, "Indeed." Uh, and she lowers it. That's great and all, but I, uh, 
maybe I was naive or too hasty. I didn't think this was going to be quite as uh, crazy dangerous as it was. Um, yeah, at first I was definitely just helping this woman here because it just seemed like a good thing to do, both for me and her and in general. But I, uh, I'm pretty sure that there's someone powerful um, after me at this point. And I'm kind of at a point that I don't know if even staying here, she's very nonspecific with that, but kind of like taps the table, um, her hoof resounding with a, a psychic little knock, um, is a good idea anymore. Uh, the, the job you propose, is that going to get me security and the funds I need to um, insure myself? He smiles. These are very good questions. Obviously, the nature of your existence here places you in danger. Mm-hmm. Indeed. The connection with myself and my organization would provide some measure of protection and information and opportunity. The jobs which I would probably be able to direct you to would increase your wealth and standing as well within the shadow community, as well as giving you access to things that are otherwise inaccessible or hidden. Um, by, by becoming friends with myself and my organization, the umbrella of our information network and other assets comes to play in your favor. It is good to have strong allies. She nods her head in agreement. I am amenable to entering into a business arrangement, but I do have to ask, what exactly is it that you expect me to do on these criminal enterprises of yours? I Information. Not... You will be mm-hmm. able to gather information through your matrix abilities. You mm-hmm. are an accomplished mage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You will benefit from practicing those skills, and you will be able to grow those skills. And the money that you earn will enable you to pay the people who have rescued you, for example, and also potentially reestablish yourself in the life that you miss. Although I will warn you, Cecile, in my opinion, it is very unlikely that you will ever rejoin that life. I think that's my concern, up. That seems amenable. However, I will say I feel underdressed for the occasion. He chuckles. Indeed, well, I don't believe anything will be happening tonight in this regard. Mm. Perhaps tonight, you could procure me some things so I could uh, prepare? Well, of course. I shall need, uh, mm, let's say, 1,200 Nguyen and a handgun. Easily done. Uh, Thank you. I believe at this point, he looks at Boxer specifically and then glances at Dindera. At this point, we would be entering into negotiations on cost, and I would be telling you more of the story. Absolutely. However, one detail that I have neglected to advise you of, uh, he looks at Ice. My friend Ice will be joining you. Ice does not seem all that pleased by this, and he is scowling, continuing to scowl rather uh, fiercely 
and is still sitting on his chaise lounge as rigidly and inflexibly as he was when you first entered. Mm, I understand. That will be fine. Oh, wow. Sorry, I just saw the token. Oof. Ice looks at all of you and he says, well, broke up here, says he's got a plan. I'm going to tell you guys right now, the last time I let myself be talked into one of Prokop's plans, things went south really well. All my friends are dead, and I've been on the run ever since. Sounds like better work than Brown Dog offers. Prokop's back. Can't be worse than sitting here. What Ice says is true. And that run that went south is also the one that has now ensnared our friend Cecile. Mm-hmm. But we will get to resolving that issue later. First, let's talk business. So as I said, I know I have been approached by a little man who has a problem with a love interest. He would like you to meet him um, tomorrow night in Renton at a club called... The Murdered Mime. Certainly a name for a club. I wonder if any clowns frequent it. I should warn you, it is a bit of a Yakuza front. Um, this Mr. Johnson that you will be meeting at the Murdered Mime is will be acting as your employer for this job, and it is with him that you will be negotiating your pay. My motivations tonight were mainly to meet you face-to-face, to talk to you, to get a sense of you, and to give you an idea of um, what I had to offer you as a team and potentially, hopefully, incentivize you to uh, to work with me. Well, work with you is to be seen, but sure, I can maintain associate status. Let's call it consultation. Uh, as you wish. Now then, shall we uh, discuss details? If you like. Be prudent to us discuss details with the Mr. Johnson. No, not about the job. The way I see it, Prokop, you have admitted to yes causing this situation, which has um, severely hampered my life. Yes, I did not cause it. Perhaps that is the wrong word. Certainly, Cause. but you are certainly admitting to at least a a minor amount of fault. No, I would say that the situation existed and you placed yourself in it unwittingly, of course. However, you do have a tendency to search in places where potentially you are not welcome. uh, People do seem to think that, don't they? Mm. Yes. Mm -hmm. There is a file on your comlink. Did you know that? I have many files, Mr. Prokop. Yes. There is a file that is there that will tell you, explain some of what is happening. You are being vague intentionally. Well, at this point, I says, I think what Prokop here is trying to tell you is that you were snooping around somewhere in the Matrix and... You found something you weren't supposed to see, and somehow the darn file attached itself to your comlink. That's how they've been tracking you around, girl. That's how they got that orc there. Mm, that is concerning. 
Does that mean they've been tracking us this entire time? Like, as in they know everywhere we've been in the past little while? They know everywhere that you've been until Cecile um, changed her comm codes. Not her comm codes, but there, there's a code within the comm link itself that when you connect to the uh, matrix, um, identifies itself. But Cecile's changed that in the meantime. That's mm -hmm. out of character now. But uh, worry about it. We, we, me and Paul had a talk. I, I forgot something because it was like a single sentence in the book. It's a whole thing. But it's been okay. Don't worry. Okay. Don't worry. I, I have not been leading a breadcrumb trail to the to the spec ops team. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I only did that once. I swear. <laughs> but now they definitely know that my van is my van. So. Yeah, Prokop looks at uh, Boxer and uh, he says, probably your safe house in Puyallup is compromised. Wonderful. At least my actual house isn't. Then he sort of he sort of shrugs and he relents and he says, he looks at Cecilia again and he says, yes, many years ago, close to 30 years ago now, there was a Prokop or Ice, myself and Pro Ice's team were set up to be the fall guys in a minor corporate struggle. Involving Yamatetsu. Exactly. He smiles in an acknowledgement. Involving Yamatetsu. Some of the players in that corporate struggle that set Ice and myself up still exist today. The files that you found were thought lost in crash in the crash 2.0. Ah. They were lost or corrupted. I don't, I'm not a Matrix person myself, but I do have people on staff who do that type of work. And so I am now in possession of very dangerous blackmail material. You have information that while, which has been, which confirms something which has been suspected for a long time, but enough time has passed where most people are happy to let it lie. If the information came back to light, it would create problems for some very influential people. I see. The problem that you have is that they know that you have it, and there's no way to put that genie back in the bottle. Quite. Oh, how unfortunate. Hmm. Hmm. So, we will talk again. Obviously, there's there's more detail there. And I, he looks at Ice, and then back at you, and then at the rest of the group. I will tell you this as well. In the this this little job that I am sending you on may seem minor and unimportant. However, it is an opening, a key that will get us further in resolving this issue for you and us. Certainly. Let's hope this is a fruitful partnership, eh, Prokop? Indeed. He raises his glass and takes a drink and then gestures at the rest of at the team and, and he says, You are welcome to join me here tonight for the show if you would like to enjoy it. Um, otherwise, um, I will give you the, as I said, you were to meet our Mr. Johnson at the Murdered Mime tomorrow evening. Um, I think I'll stay for the show. I, as well, would like to sell the roses. I have pertinent matters relating to security and assets that must be handled. Boxer, that is your name, correct? Do you mind telling Kirsten to leave my helmet, the spare one, on my bike? Hmm. I'll do this. Thank you. 
Boxer, did you come in on your bike or in nope, the van? Okay. She's calling a good guy. Um, um, I'm gonna, I'm going to ask before, before Nightingale leaves, which I think she'll want to be with Boxer, if Boxer will permit her. She would. Um, Nightingale is going to ask for a thing of horchata <laughs> before, before she leaves. Um, the, you know, just bring it outside, please. I'll grab it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, she would have to explain what Prachata is, or you would, <laughs> to me. I don't know what it is, honey. <laughs> it's a, uh, like a milk-based drink that mixes cinnamon, um, like whole milk and cinnamon. Uh, it's Spanish in origin. Before I go, would it be possible to get Prachata? For my associates. Hortata? I don't believe I am aware of what a hortata is. Uh, she. Oh. Milk. Mil- uh, milk with cinnamon. <laughs> oh. That's, that's all it, it is. Is it warm or is it cold? Uh, either way. Which would you prefer? Warm. Gently warm. Very well. He motions and, and one of the wait staff comes over and um, Prokop gives the directions. And at that point, Talia leaves, and uh, you're there with Prokop and, and Ice and the rest of the team. And then the uh, the waiter brings the uh, a cup with the horchata. Um, she'll she'll ask for it to be placed outside, and probably go with the waiter uh, to go back into her body and grab it, and then wait for Boxer to come outside in her own time. Yeah, at that point, uh, Nadia reappears. Um, just outside of the VIP area, it looks like she's waiting there to escort you back out through the uh, through the back way to the loading dock. So, who's leaving? Boxer and Grace? Is that what I understood, Nightingale? Um, I believe so. If Boxer can confirm. Uh, sorry, I uh, I phase out for a moment. Confirm what? Uh, you're you uh, you're heading out. You're leaving. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay, so Nadia escorts you guys, you and, and Nightingale, out through the uh, the way you came in. Um, on the loading dock, the uh, the security personnel are spread out. And uh, other, other than that, everything appears to be normal there. Uh, Kirsten is uh, sitting in the van, looking somewhat uh, bored and dejected. At a certain point, Nightingale would demanifest... Uh, suddenly sit up, look at Kirsten, and say, Hey, uh, can you go get the, the drink from, uh, them, please? Pretty please? I'd appreciate it. I'll pay you, I'll pay you two new yen. <laughs> Kirsten looks startled, and then she's looking around, and she sees, uh, Nadia and, and Boxer coming out of the club as well. And, uh, she says, she sort of shrugs resignedly, and, Opens the door and and goes out. Um, Deandir and and Cecile, um, are you going to be doing anything particular? Are you just going to be hanging out and watching the show or listening to the show? I think probably just listening to the show. Okay. Yeah, and if there's like an intermission, I think Deandir would probably turn to Cecile and ask her. So, if you're if you were relying on them for shelter, shall we say? Where are you going now? Out of curiosity. Um, are you talking to me? Yes. Um, 
I shall have to speak to Prokop about that. Well, if you have need of it, I have a place. It's certainly no safe house, but it will suffice. Your generosity is unexpected and suspicious, but thank you. Yes. At some point, probably just before the intermission, um, Ice had left. And um, as you guys are finishing up your conversation, Prokop hasn't really said anything other than sort of to be sitting there watching the uh, watching the band. Um, and uh, every now and then he makes, you know, some small comment or something, nothing of any substance. But as you guys are finishing your conversation, a um, ice comes back carrying um, a small case, which he hands to, to Cecile without a word. What model? Ice? Excuse me? The, of pistol. What model? Oh, um, you said you wanted, you just said a pistol, right? You didn't specify anything specific. Correct, but I am curious. Okay. It's a, it's an Ares Predator. Suitable. Thank you. Um, and there is a, in the case, there's the Ares Predator. There are two clips, um, which are, um, loaded with standard ammunition and, um, there is a cred stick as well. Thank you, Ice. He doesn't say anything. He just goes and sits down next to Prokop. Um, the guy's outside. So um, Kirsten comes out and gets the cup of horchata that Nadia is holding. And uh, Nadia doesn't say anything. She just passes it to Kirsten and returns back into the club. And the door closes. So what are you guys, what's Boxer doing? Mm, once she's out. She is going to be, uh, actually, hmm, her safe house. She's going to call, hmm, okay, she's going to call a good guide to an area near the safe house. And then she's going to, uh, hmm, she's going to nose around a bit before approaching. Okay. So that leaves um, Nightingale and Kirsten in the van, right? Actually, wait, um, didn't uh, didn't Nightingale want to come with? Did did she yeah. say? Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I said. I'm thinking because the plates on my van have been changed so long as like it doesn't the digital plates, you know, have been changed so long as it isn't involved in anything um quirky. Let's call it. Uh, it'll be fine, but I probably shouldn't use it anytime soon. Kirsten is kind of a very a rogue variable here. Um, we can just she can just get her own grid guide. Okay, so you you basically kick Kirsten to the curb and tell her to take grid guide home or wherever she wants to go. Yeah. Um. But before we go, I do want to ask the people at the back, Nadia, if uh, if it's okay if I just leave my van here, if it'll be safe and whatnot, and like if not. Just please just tell me. Nadia's already back in the club. She just handed the horchata off to Kirsten uh, and entered would, the club. Would there be security here that I could just yep. say that to? There's a bunch of security. Um, there, there are about eight heavily armed security people standing around here. Uh, whenever Nightingale gets out of the uh, the step van, she's going to call to them and just uh, express that that hey. Uh, is is it going to be safe here? Uh, please, I just, uh, you know, I just want to know if it is or isn't, so I can plan accordingly. Okay, a uh, one of the one of the security people, a, a woman with a 
sort of who carries herself with a bit of a frightening agility and grace uh, comes up to you and you can see that she's apparently listening to something in in uh, on some kind of cyberware or headwear that she's got. And uh, then she just nods to you and says, yes, just don't leave it here too long. Uh, don't mm-hmm. plan on it. I'll move it when I can. We need to um, reuse the loading dock. So the area is secure. However, the loading dock does get used. So if you move it a little bit out of the way, you should be fine. Oh, oh, I can. Can I do that right now? Is that? Of course. And she's going to go ahead and uh, just do that. Move it some and then join a boxer and the grid guide. She's going to grab some of her stuff. Um, let me. I. I'll decide exactly what she gets, but she's going to, to to pack a bag with some of her stuff. Not all of it. She's going to leave a good bit of it in the, the car because that's a um, very heavy bag otherwise. I need to use the restroom. I'll be right back. Okay. All right. So you pack a bag, you get the grid guide, and you head off to Puyallup to, uh, to check out Boxer's safe house that Prokop mentioned might be have been compromised. Um the drive to Puyallup is relatively uneventful. Um, the grid guide takes you, you know, within range of where you want to go. Are you driving? Are you going to get out of the grid guide and walk around? Actually, you know what? Um, at this point, you're probably, Boxer, you're getting a uh, a message on your comm link from Vicente. Uh, she answers it. <laughs> hey, Boxer, I'm glad you answered. Thought there might have been some trouble. No trouble? And yet an opportunity. What do you, what's going on? <laughs> ah, you don't know. Okay. There was a bit of a there was a bit of a fracas at your uh, that safe house that you had me drop uh had me have those guys drop your gear off at. It's compromised, um, isn't it? Oh, I would say it's compromised. Uh it's probably more like a smoking wreck at this point. So Fairly heavy firefight. Firefight with whom? Yeah. Uh I don't have a lot of details. Um, somebody came in and cleaned up the mess afterwards, but it seemed, uh, it looks like maybe a corp security team and a group of uh, mercenaries got into a firefight at your location or at your safe house location. Mercenaries. Why would yeah. mercenaries fight over that? I understand the corpse. They are, they are interested in us, but this is an intriguing development. Thank you. Yeah, I wouldn't go back there. Uh, like I said, it's a bit of a probably just a smoking wreck at this point, and I know there were casualties, so um, it was heavy duty. Well, fortunately, my main loss is uh, a whole lot of food. Well, well, stay safe out there, boxer. I will. You as well. He signs off. So, wait, remind me, what is her comm setup like? It, it, it's something internal, right? But does it make detectable noise outside of her, like inner ear, or is it, or is it like even like a neural impulse? Not unless she opts to. Okay, so she kind of uh, Nightingale wouldn't have been able to listen into that conversation. In that case, she would turn to Nightingale. Well, we are having a change of destination. It seems my safe house is now a slight bit non-existent. Okay, well, that's as expected. I was uh, to pull something out of it, but there's another stranger development. Yeah? That's trashing of the safe house. It was in the middle of a fight 
mercenaries and corporate. I'm not sure. Oh. Oh. Yes. Okay. Okay. I. I think. I think I know. I think no. I know what happened. At least roughly. Uh, the corp were the, the corpos were probably Evo looking for Cecile. The mercenaries, the shadow runners, were probably hired by whoever kept my van out of the news, and they were there for me. Oh. And whenever a bunch of people with guns meet another group of people with guns, things tend to go a little screwy. Indeed. Yeah, Boxer would know all about that. He even has proof. That is a very good wherever she goes. Grace. What was that? I said that is a very good theory. You get karma for that? No, just a pat on the back. (laughs) Plus, Plus one plus one to morale. Wherein morale is not referenced anywhere else in the system. Plus one bonus edge. <laughs> sure. Um, I don't want to scream. She, uh, she, she, she looks at a, uh, at Boxer as she says that. And just looks straight forward again. You may scream. Sure. Her ears, uh, her ears fall down, droop against her head, and press down to keep it from bursting her own eardrums. And then she proceeds to just. Scream. She lets out her thoughts. Um, but she's done rather quickly. Boxer watches with amusement. <laughs> I feel like both in to some in some ways, interestingly enough, Cecile and Grace Nightingale have are in some similar situations, like not quite grasping the magnitude of the danger to themselves in sort of an almost in sort of an innocent kind of way. I mean, if Cecile was security trained, she'd be like, oh, fuck, this is serious. But she's just like, I don't know. There's no scale for people trying to kill you, you know? They're all just trying to kill you. It's like, <laughs> goddamn, they're trying to kill me. <laughs> most most people, when they get tr- tried to be murdered, aren't like, well, you know, it could be worse. <laughs> I could have the United States trying to kill me. It could be worse. It could be the United States! Because we're in Seattle! Except for Cecile, Cecile, it couldn't actually be worse. Unless, maybe it was Cider Croup. Oh god. Oh, that would be... (laughs) Or Astlan. Because they would, uh... (laughs) They would make it fun. Between Cider Croup and Aslan, I'd rather go up against Aslan. (laughs) Yeah, but once they get you, <laughs> it's not going to be pretty. Cedar Crip will do it professionally. Aslan, well, they have their own idea of professionality. They'll do it professionally. Professionally messy. I don't know. Apparently, Evo has fucking blood magic, so I don't know. I'm not. Blood magic? That's what I interpreted the dagger from what you described. Um, I realize it may not be blood magic, but I interpreted it as being magic from what you you were you were describing, some kind of weapon focus, which will be interesting if that ends up being confirmed. I thought they were just stabbed. It was described in such a way as uh, as to lead me to believe that there was something magical going on with the blade. I will yeah. neither confirm nor deny that. I well, I wouldn't have seen it in character, so it doesn't matter anyway. Liz, Liz, you're doing the GM's writing for him. 
<laughs> that's that's how most GMs operate. <laughs> We're just listening to you guys and basically ripping off your ideas and throwing them back at you. Um, also, Paul, I would like to complain very briefly. <laughs> I figured out that you you moved some pieces around during that tutorial mission, and it's the the fucking ancient stuffer shack one off. I'm very angry. I didn't figure it out sooner. <laughs> I I was up at six a.m. and I was like, God damn it. <laughs> Yeah, I prepped that mission. <laughs> did uh, did the did uh, uh, starting to be that time of night? Um, Deandir and and Cecile, did you guys want to role play the you guys leaving the club at all? No, I mean I don't know where Cecile's going, but <laughs> I'd have to figure that out. I don't fucking know where I'm going. I don't know. I don't think Cecile doesn't know Deandra from anywhere. Well, you just spent like practically a week with uh, a magical horsey with a horn on her head and a cat lady that you'd never met before. In Cecile snatched you out of a moving car. Yeah, it's it's a little. You don't usually try to get away from people that literally levitated you out of a moving vehicle. And, and got shot at to grab you. That's not where her head was at. Um, it would be ill-advised. I don't know. Did, can Cecile ask Prokop if he has like an apartment somewhere for her? Yeah, Prokop can definitely put you up. Um, that whole building that the bar is in, that the club mm-hmm. is in, is basically nothing but uh, a barracks, safe house, warehouse facility for his organization. Cecile would probably feel safest being inside of Prokop's compound for the moment. And he actually, he extends the same offer to Deandir. And he basically says, you know, so you don't have to drive late at night. <laughs> I think that's dangerous, you know? Yeah, exactly. He says she, it with you know, uh, the slightest twist of irony. <laughs> she, uh, she like pauses for a second, like, is it like should I go back to where I to my place or whatever? And then she's like, "I will gladly accept your hospitality," and does a like short bow from her sitting position, I guess, which looks kind of awkward. He he nods back, sort of, and so you guys have arranged. Cecile, you've gotten your pistol, um, you've gotten a cred stick, and you've arranged your sleeping quarters for the night. Um, the after the intermission. The uh, the band actually changes um, to sort of more of a uh, a blues rocky type show, and uh, it's a fairly interesting. You know, you're sitting there watching from the VIP area, and it's the the, the dynamic that you guys are observing in there as you're doing this is is interesting because the booths around the VIP area are filled with people, and uh, you get the distinct impression that these people in the VIP area and these booths are 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 specifically Prokop's people, whereas the people out in the the audience are maybe to some extent as well, but mostly really are just shadow folk. Um, but they don't pay any mind to the, the VIP area or anything like that. And uh, then after the show, everybody leaves and um, Nadia comes back and, and takes the two of you upstairs, you know, through various hallways and, and takes you into what is obviously sort of guest quarters. So I guess next time we, we meet, we'll, uh, we'll go meet this, uh, Mr. Johnson and his, 
get the story on his love interest or whatever is going on. So Prokop did tell you that you would be working with ice. And he told you that this, this job that this Mr. Johnson was going to give you was going to be a tie in or a key to unlocking the issues that you guys are having. And it sounds like Grace figured out what happened at Oxer's safe house. Oh, you're just gonna just gonna give it away like that? I mean, it makes oh, sense. It sounds it sounds like it. I see what he did there. The Topps Company, Inc. has sole ownership of the names, logo, artwork, marks, photographs, sounds, audio, video, and or any proprietary material used in connection with the game Shadowrun. The Topps Company, Inc. has granted permission to the Hard Knock Sorority Podcast to use such names, logos, artwork, marks, and or any proprietary materials for promotional and informational purposes on its website, but does not endorse and is not affiliated with the Hard Knocks Sorority Podcast in any official capacity whatsoever. The music for the Hard Knocks Sorority Podcast was written and performed by Trace Mineral. The Hard Knocks Sorority Podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons License 4.0, meaning you are welcome to use the material as long as you give us credit.